Hey everyone, it's Andy and Phil. We're your co-hosts for the Burning Creative Podcast. For those of you who don't know us, we're the partners over at Muddy Shutter Media and we're excited to have you listening to our show. This is a podcast about creativity, inspiration, and passion in the creative community. This show is sponsored and supported by MSM and therefore, no ads, all talk. We hope you enjoy the content and don't forget to subscribe, like, and follow our Instagram page at Burning Creative Podcast. Jumping right in, let's introduce today's guest. All right, everybody. Today we have Mike Kemp on the podcast. Mike, thanks so much for being on with us. Yeah, great to be on with you. Thanks a lot for choosing me. Absolutely. Mike is a commercial photographer out of Utah, and he does phenomenal work. He's uh, His portfolio is very versatile. We were introduced through a mutual friend and connection, Bart Mills at Peak Refuel, and he had a lot of good things to say about you. And we connected through a phone call and chatted for a while. And when yeah. Phil and I started this podcast, we said, you know what, let's get Mike on the on the show and kind of pick his brain about it. Yeah. So Mike, you know, if, if you want to kind of go ahead and just give us a little bio about yourself, your background, what you specialize in for the audience, sure. that'd be great. Yeah. So I don't know how far back you want me to go, but I basically got into photography at a pretty young age. I discovered that I wasn't very good at sports. <laughs> and uh, everybody around me was a really good athlete, and I had to find something I was good at. So I quit sports and tried to find something else to do, and I took a photo class. And I remember the first time that fo- that photograph came appeared in the developer in the dark room. Kind of, mm-hmm. I'm kind of aging myself here, right? People don't do that anymore much, but <laughs> hey, that's cool. how I started. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Good, we can relate on that. But yeah, I remember that image. It was a, a photograph of a leaf that I took under some really contrasty lighting, and mm-hmm. I just I was amazed when it came up. I was like, that that really happens. Like you put it in these chemicals, and an image actually yeah. appears. And yeah. then I started studying about the process and how that really happens, and just kind of fell in love with it. And I wasn't doing too great in school before that, but my grades went up and. I ended up getting some scholarships through some competitions and ended up pretty much getting all my college paid for through scholarships. And then and then right out of college, I, I started shooting for a production company here in Utah. Mm-hmm. And that went really well for about five years. And then about nine years ago, I 10 years ago, holy cow, it's been 10 years in July, <laughs> 10 years. Time flies too fast. Yeah, it's been 10 years since I left that situation and went on my own and And I remember being told a lot that, you know, uh, Salt Lake's a small market and you can't make a living as a commercial photographer here. But I was not about to leave Salt Lake. I love the area. I love the skiing. I love the hunting. The access to to outdoors here, just out your back door is is phenomenal, Mm -hmm. second to none. And so I just decided I was going to figure out a way to make it work. And the market here is exploding and there's mm-hmm. there's new clients popping up everywhere. Right. So I'm not shooting for, you know, a lot of big national huge brands per se, but I'm doing what I love and I'm living where I want to live and I look forward to Mondays, man. I I love I love my work. Mm-hmm. I oh, love I love doing photography. That's huge. That's you know, you you kind of hit a chord there, right? It's and you openly admit it. It's like, hey, I'm I'm not shooting for a lot of those crazy big brands out there. I'm I'm shooting stuff that keeps me afloat and keeps me doing what I love to do. Yeah. Right. And I think that's actually been a a recurring trend where a lot of photographers, young photographers, come in and they want to shoot for the big brands right away. Right. Yep. And then everybody wants to get in with the big brands. 
right? Yeah. But then, you know, I mean, these big brands, they, they have a very limited, I wouldn't say limited, but they do have a budget. And it's not like if you just go to them, they'll say, oh, hey, here you go. Here's, here's a check, right? Go yeah. and go and live out your dream. And it, the it's reality is it, it, no. right, it, it doesn't happen to a lot of people. And I think people then get discouraged and they leave the photography game instead yeah. of building it with a foundation, a client base that is sustaining and then slowly working towards courting those big brands. Yeah. And it's like, and, I mean, the, oh, go ahead. Finish. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. Well, it's like you said, you know, all these photographers want to go out and shoot for big brands right from the beginning. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that, that is a good thing. And it does work out for the, the few, like you said, but the problem is, is it distorts other photographers reality. Right. You know, mm-hmm. my, though I'm kind of a play it safe guy. I don't like to run debt. I like to grow with the cash that I have. Yep. And that's kind of what I've been doing for the last 10 years. I'm at a point now where I'm busy enough that I can, I can say no to certain jobs if I don't want to take them. Right. And I can, I can take a little bit less time shooting for jobs I don't want and spending that time now mm-hmm. trying to emerge into maybe getting some bigger clients a little bit here and there. Right. right. But, and that's, that's huge. Uh, that's, and you've obviously been in the business for a very long time. It's, 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 you know, we always kind of tell people it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? right? right. Especially in a career. Cause a lot of people will be, Oh, you know, I want to shoot for this person, this person, and then they'll burn out in one to three years. And then what do they do for the next 20, 30? Right. It's, yeah. um, so, uh, and another point that you just made is you, you grow with the cash you have. And I believe that, there's been kind of a skew where you need the best gear, you need a red camera, you need, you know, all this crazy stuff to get started in the industry. And what happens is there's a big investment and then there's no return on that investment. And then people either close their doors or they end up, you know, being, like you said, being in debt or three, they just, they just fade out. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember, a few years ago, I was getting to a point where I had enough gear and, mm-hmm. I, and I was starting to light a little bit more that I needed a bigger truck mm-hmm. for, to haul my gear around. I just had a little Nissan Frontier. And, <laughs> you know, it was too small. I had gear hanging right. on the back and, you know, boards flying out of the truck and fans <laughs> hanging out, you know. And, and I just told myself, I'm not, I'm not going to get a bigger vehicle until I can, until I can afford it. And I, yeah. I had a really, uh, just an awesome blessing happen to me. I received a phone call from a client that wanted to buy a picture of mine and I sold it to him for $33,000. Mm-hmm. And I was able to go out and like, I didn't even want to go in debt for a truck. That's how right. I'm probably a little bit over the top. I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the same way. And so well, I got that money and I went and I bought a new truck with it. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the way I've been with everything. My, you know, my trucks paid off my, all my studio gears paid off. I'm not running in debt because, you know, if things go slow for a month or two here and there, I don't have to, to worry about it too much. My, right. All my gears paid for. Yep. So yep. yeah, I'm a, I'm a take it slow, grow as I go kind of guy. Mm-hmm. No, that that's huge. And I think personally, I think that's the way to, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Now, a lot of people will be a, li- a little bit more aggressive. For sure. But I believe that there's a, a good way and a bad way of doing that, right? I think 
there's definitely ways where you can leverage your debt. Say you do have a signed contract that says, hey, you know, this is a contract worth and you do go rent yeah. or you go and you purchase, you know, you purchase a, a, an item that you know you will make. Hey, okay, well, you know, I'll float this for a while until this contract ends and then I'll use that and pay off the, the gear. But I think some people, they go get the gear without the contract. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where you get in trouble. Yeah. That's where you get in trouble. I, I really try to be mindful. You know, am I really going to use this? Is this something I can't get away with renting? You know, but I've, I found that the renting thing is nice, but at the same time, you can't be quite as spontaneous. And sometimes right. the last minute jobs are sketchy mm-hmm. because, you know, the rental house doesn't have the gear or whatever. So right. there's definitely a balance, you know, definitely a mm-hmm. balance. But. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's And growing with your gear is something that I think is, is being a little bit lost. I think people kind of look to gear as a, a substitute for skill. Yeah. Right. It's, they'll always ask about, Oh, what lens are you using? Or, or people will, will research the best lenses, the best body and all that, but they'll do less research on how to actually achieve the skills that will make them yeah. better in photography. Yeah. And um, I think that's more of a problem now than it was back in the days of film. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I remember going in college and even in early part of my photographic career that, Man, you didn't you didn't know exactly what the image was going to look like until you got it back to the lab. Yep. You know. Yep. It's like now you can you know you can put the camera on a tripod and you can take a picture at f eight or f two point eight, right? Right. Showing somebody brand new how an aperture affects the the look of the image. Mm-hmm. Right. I can shoot it at f two point eight. Then I can change settings, set it to f sixteen or twenty two, and I can show right. that person immediately the difference between the two. Absolutely. Whereas Absolutely. back in the days of film, it was a process, you know, the mm-hmm. time. And yep. I remember having a notepad and I'd, I'd write one through 12 down, you know, for each frame and then the app yep. and the shutter speed. And the I did the exact same thing on right? a little moleskin and, and you, you know, you, you note what role it was yeah. and you go back, you check it and you, you know, you say, okay, this picture was a little bit underexposed or overexposed. What yep. setting that I use, and then that kind of builds your visual memory yep. for next time. Yeah, right. Exactly. But now it's like, okay, set it on auto. Oh, okay, this is what it's telling me. Okay, switch back to manual. Yeah. And you, so I think that the technology is is great, but it could also be crippling at the same time. Yeah. If, you, if you don't have that foundation to build on. Yeah, I think going through that. I think every new photographer should learn through film. I, mm-hmm. I don't. I hate to say that in some ways because yes, it slows down the process but it increases the appreciation of the knowledge gained. Right. Right. Because there's, there's a process you go through to gain that knowledge. Right. Like the process I just showed you of how I can show somebody how F stops affect a, an image in, mm-hmm. in, in literally like a 30 second period of time, easy come, easy go. Right. Like right. all that appreciation for that knowledge is just, it's just not as special. Right. Absolutely. And it's funny because it's so important to actually learn the history and the originations of terms such as ISO and shutter speed. And, you know, because I think with electronic cameras now, the shutter speed and and ISO and stuff like that, it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's almost like a fake term, but it's, it's a digital term, right? It's just a number, but on a film camera, the shutter speed when you can take out your lens and you can look at it and you could click it and you can see, you know, and well on a DSLR too, but, and then the ISO, you know, is, was you had one ISO for your film 
yeah. that you could select and then you could push within limits. But now it's like, oh, I'll just change the ISO right. to this, 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 this. But with film, it's like you had to be really careful and really know ahead of time exactly. what you were shooting. That's what I was um, just going to say is you have to be more methodical and think ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. and you know, I say all these things. I'm guilty as charged. I, I you know, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, there's nothing better than having an image pop up on a big computer. Oh, absolutely, yep. you're right. Yeah, but like I said before, I think there's value in learning that learning the skills of photography through the film process. Right. So right. I, re- I remember as an assistant in the late '90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was running around as fast as I could, just unloading. 120 film and reloading 120 film right and taking notes of everything because i knew that photographer was going to ask me right <laughs> yep. he was going to ask me the one frame i forgot to note right what was right. the f-stop there what was the shutter speed why is that image dark you know right why, why is the model blurred was the shutter speed too slow and i'm like you know so and i've been through that situation <laughs> that stressful situation as a young right. 18 year old kid having to answer for all this stuff mm-hmm. and I don't know how we did it because we were rolling film. We were making sure lights were working correctly. Right. right. You know? And it's like, I don't know. Is it just me? Is it, it's just. No, no. I, I think the, you really had to have a work ethic to work in photography. I wouldn't say back then. I, you still do now. Sure. But I think now Different. a lot of things are automatic or, or you don't have to do, you know, you don't have to do half of the things you have to, you had to do back then. Yeah. Heck, I mean, I was just talking with, who was I talking with? Uh, we had another guest on the show where, you know, I, I spoke to them about how back in the day you'd have to send contact sheets, yeah, you know, to your clients, yeah, and you couldn't hide, you couldn't air quote delete pictures that that were bad, yeah, right? They were there because yeah, it's there. The, the contact sheet is there, and if you cut something out, they'd say, "Hey, where is you know where's you know shot seventeen out here? You know, this strip only has." 12 to whatever. Right. So you really had to be careful and really see that each shot that you took did reflect that it was composed well and you had intentions of taking a, a good picture and not just snapping away. Right? right. Because I think if a client saw your contact sheet and, you know, 10 or nine out of or eight out of the 10 images were out of focus, like you said, or too dark or too, too light, they'd look at it and say, yeah. uh, you know, this guy, does he really know what he's right. doing or is he just kind of spraying yeah. and praying? Yeah, spraying and praying. I love that. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you coin that? I've never heard that. Before. No, I, I did not. I did not. Okay. But, but, you know, I, I think... I feel like I hunt that way sometimes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I I didn't get the spray and pray mentality until I got a digital camera. I'll have to say that. Sure. Because yeah. I think that when I did film... And I shot on film for about a year for an agency and they, you know, we had a very good relationship where they loved the film look. They gave me the time the day to go back, process it, you know, go through that whole, that whole thing. I was very fortunate to have an agency that allowed me to do that. But then, you know, one day I say day as, as a collective week or whatever, the art director goes, okay, Andy, like, you know, I love the film, but you know, you'd get a lot of work. And it would just make it so much easier for us if you just got a digital camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll get a digital camera. Yeah. See, that so finally got, finally got a digital camera yeah. and it was a, a Canon T5i. And, but what happened was when I was on set, I was so nervous because, you know, 
the producer and the art director is there and they're like, oh, can I see? Can I see the picture? So I'm just like, yeah. you know, you, you, you kind of, they know that they can see the image now. It's like you're and I, your soul, man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, it just, my workflow definitely changed after that. Yeah. For the better, for the better, because I think I had to work under a new stress now, which is, hey, I got the client over my shoulders. They can actually request in real time to look at these pictures. I have to really be sure that I'm nailing these shots so that they can see it right now. Yeah. You know, I don't have the luxury of saying, oh, I'm going to go and develop it. Yeah. And, you know, you can see it later. And yeah. you know, it was the pressure was on. Yeah. And then you had the metadata in there. You know, they can see everything. They can see, you know, if you were, you had the right shutter speed, if you had the right ISO and all of that. Yeah. So it definitely changed the workflow for sure. Yeah. It did. <laughs> and I was thinking too that it's also changed the expectation of the client. Oh, absolutely. You know, like that. It's just, it's just another, it's just another part of that immediate gratification world that we live in. Mm-hmm. And it's good. Like, I'm, I'm glad that I can be able to tell my client, you know, in a pinch, hey, I can get this tomorrow if you need it, you know? Right. Right. But I don't like it when it's taken too much advantage of and clients start calling, you know, uh, last minute and then they want their pictures like, you know, the next day or two days later. <laughs> it's still not, there's still uh, some time that, that there is, it takes to perfect the image and do retouching and all that right. stuff. But Right. So, on, you know, on, on that topic, I assume that you're in your studio right now, correct? Yeah. So it's not for, for, for the studio, but yeah. <laughs> hey, at least you have a studio. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but, so, what's what's that that process like for you in the studio versus you on location? And, and you just mentioned retouching. Do you work with a retoucher, or do you do that yourself? Do you shop it out sometimes? Yeah. What's the working process for you? So, I, I have I, I do a lot of it myself, just because there's mm-hmm. so many little things that I want to have done. Um, mm-hmm. that it's just hard to communicate it. But I do need to get better at working with retouchers because I know that there's I can spend more time shooting and all that. Mm-hmm. But in but in terms of like being in the studio versus location, I love that when I'm in the studio, we can create an image to a certain point, and then I can show the client. Now, look, if I do this, if I brighten these highlights here, I'll do a lot right. of local adjustments to just sweep right. it up, you know. Right. Right. And I love that. I love that reaction you always get. Wow, that was mm-hmm. so awesome. And then I'll hit the Y key to show the before and after. You're like, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You know, yep. I love yep. there's so much gratification in that. Where on location, it's a little bit harder to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I am well, if it's an indoor location, I'll tether to my to my iMac. It's 27 right. screen. But if it's an outdoor location, I used to not tether at all, but now we're tethering wirelessly to an iPad. Right. And so at least the at least the client can see, you know, it's a 12-inch image that they can see and they love that. Mm-hmm. So but but there's not as much well there's pretty much not any manipulating we do to the image on set in those cases, at least at this mm-hmm. point. But my internal process being in the studio versus on location, mm-hmm. I don't stress as much because I know the environment I'm going into is going to be there's not going to be any wind. Right. It's not going to snow on me. <laughs> right. <laughs> the lights come on when I turn them on. Right. There's no, there's no race against the sun going down. Right. Which is honestly, I have to have both in my career. I have yeah. to have that outdoor experience where I do experience those stresses and those unknown elements. Right. 
but I need a break from that too. Mm-hmm. And I need that studio time too, where I can just be, where I can craft the image more illustratively and take my time lighting it and, you know, play around with, with splashing water or other things that will right. kind of freeze. So yeah, the, I feel like for me, I stress a little bit more shooting outdoors, but it's a stress that I thrive off of. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it's, I, it's something I'm excited about because I know I've done it enough times. I know that unless like lightning strikes and ruins the whole thing, we're going to, we're going to pull some awesome content. Right. You know? Right. And I, I try to, the other thing is differently is if we're shooting outdoors and my client isn't super familiar with that, I'll educate them as best I mm-hmm. can beforehand look, this is what we want to do. This is a framework of what we have planned. Right. Let's consider this if it rains. Let's consider this if it's too windy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was on a recent shoot at the Great Salt Lake. And mm-hmm. My client wanted to do some stand-up paddleboarding shots. And before we had decided the location, they had told me we need it to be simple, clean, not a lot of busyness. And I was thinking about all the lakes around here. They're all, they're all surrounded by mountains. <laughs> and so the background is always super busy, you know? Right. right. And, and then the thought came to my mind, we need to shoot at the Great Salt Lake. We can make, mm-hmm. we can make it look like a, almost like an ocean. It's so huge, you know? Right. And the mountains right. are so far back. Well, we get there and it's like 35, 40 mile an hour winds. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not to mention, I don't know if you've ever been to the Great Salt Lake in the summer. No, I have not. But no. the bugs were insane. Oh. I mean, Jeez. black clouds of bugs going along the, I mean, it was just, so these, there was these elements that I kind of wasn't, I should have expected more. I've been out there before in the summer, but right. anyway, we had to work around it. We couldn't shoot on the edge of the lake. We had to go out and it's a shallow lake and it stays shallow for like, like 100, 200 yards out. You can go and still be walking. Mm-hmm. So we had to go way, way out away from the bugs and then wait for the wind. My poor assistant had a big, you know, aluminum frame fill card that was just blowing him all over the place. He's falling in the water and he's covered in salt water, you know, because it's a, it's like 10 times more right. salty than the ocean. Right. And he's um, probably like, you don't pay me enough to do this yeah. crap. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I've got a, I've got a gift, I've got a gift card right here. I got to give him just for, just for a little moral support, you know. But yeah. anyway, you know, and then I ended up, I ended up getting some of the shots laying in the lake on my back and then mm-hmm. setting my camera on the paddleboard. So I get these super low angles. Right. And so that's the difference. Like in the studio, I'm never going to find myself in that situation. In that situation. But mm-hmm. on location, I just, I, I just like flip a switch in my head. Just mm-hmm. be, just do whatever you got to do to get the shot. And it was funny because yep. the client standing back photographing me Taking his, like la- laughing about yeah. it, like, oh, look at this guy, he's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting blown around in the wind, and I'm under the water, you know. And I, yep. like you've said before, I didn't have underwater housing on my camera, plus, it's like salt water. Oh, that is just gonna tear yeah. everything apart, it would have completely destroyed it. But you know, everything worked out, we worked out, we got amazing shots. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the model I worked with was in a casting that I did yesterday. And she came into the casting and she couldn't stop talking about how much she loved that shoot and how the images turned out. And that's, that's what I love about locations is it seems like the photographer, everybody being there, the assistant, the client, the model Mm -hmm. and the location, 
even though it's planned out, it always feels there's always something about it that's serendipitous. Right. It doesn't happen in the studio. So yep, anyway, absolutely. that's a long answer to your question about the No, no, it's uh, it's it's perfect because a lot of this is why we're doing this podcast is to give people a glimpse into that, right? Into the world of photography. Well, not just the photography side and what people see as you, you know, taking a picture, but the the stresses and you know the gratification like you said that that photographers get from working on set versus a studio you know a lot of this is not talked about and it's very cool yeah. to see that contrast yeah there's actually a lot of content creators have never even seen the inside of a studio or or right. have any clue as to you know how to use a diffuser or, or, yeah. you know, you, you hand them a, you know, uh, a strobe and they're like, what is this? Yeah. Thing? Right. <laughs> and they're very specialized in what they do. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is awesome. Which is really, which is really cool. I, being in a small market like Salt Lake, I have been very successful in finding clients that want me to be their go-to guy mm-hmm. because I can light a product very beautifully in the studio Mm-hmm. But I can also go out on location and do some beautiful, less controlled situations with absolutely with models outdoors. Yeah, and it's it's a skill set that makes your clients more inclined to, like you said, you're the go to guy because they know that whatever they have planned, they can say, "Well, we worked with Mike in both situations." Yeah, and we know what he delivers. And we know he's going to do whatever it takes to get the shot instead of, oh, well, you know, this guy is only for our studio work. He's not really an on-location guy. We got to go find another guy that's better for on-location right. stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, so that's really important in terms of yeah. client relations. And um, I, I know in these bigger clients, like they're in these bigger markets like LA or New York, you know, you have your guys out there that that's all they do as celebrities or that's all they do mm-hmm. is fashion or you know, or interiors or whatever. Right. I don't know, man. I think I'd get bored. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I'd get bored. I have, I have to be, I have to mix it up all the time to, to stay interested for sure. Yeah, I absolutely. I, and you know, even with our crew, you know, we, we have always kind of envisioned that we, we wouldn't stay in one niche. Although some people are like, Oh, find a niche and stay with it. And, and, you know, work that niche and be the best in that niche. But I think we kind of thrived off of being able to say, you know what, you know, screw that saying we want to be in, I wouldn't say every niche, but we want to be in the niches that we love to work in, you know, so outdoor recreation, commercial hunting, fishing at the end of the day, it's, it's not so much about the industry, but like you said, following this passion to create a, a a good image or, or a good visual. Yeah. And that's, that's important too, to, to diversify your portfolio. And not to get me wrong. I mean, if, so if you look at my portfolio, it basically breaks down food, product, lifestyle, Mm -hmm. and then specific lifestyle with the sportsman. Right. Well, and then I've also got my personal stuff, which is a lot of European architecture and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's my therapeutic photography. Like that's (laughs) when I'm just out on my own photographing really cool ancient buildings. Something that stands still. Yeah. And doesn't move. <laughs> yeah. But what I was going to say is if I had to choose as a career between one of those, I definitely have my favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, I, nothing's more fun than being out on location, shooting, hunting right. and fishing, you know, and even camping and, you know, outdoor stuff. There's nothing more fun than that. And for mm-hmm. me particularly, because 
lots of times when I'm shooting that stuff, I'm either recreating a moment that I remember as a kid. Mm -hmm. So it's very personal. Mm -hmm. Or I'm creating moments that I hope someday to experience myself. Right. You know? Interesting. So like, you know, in the past, I photographed a hunter with a big elk rack on his back, walking on a skyline with his rifle in his hand, you know, and I had never never done that. And well, this year I finally had that opportunity. And so Mm -hmm. it was cool that it was cool to go through that process of, well, how would it work out for me, you know, while I'm photographing this other person doing it. Right. Right. Yeah. So how does, you know, how does your workflow or or how... How different is it for you to go from, like you said, food and commercial and lifestyle and 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 hunting and fishing, you know, all these different niches, you know, does your does your workflow change or does your mindset change when you try to creatively approach these projects? I would say on a on a technical side, mm-hmm. not so much. But mm-hmm. on the creative side, probably more so. Because I could be doing, I could be doing hunting products in the studio. I could also be doing, you know, some other type of product in the studio too. But I might, if they're similar reflective objects or whatever, I'd probably light in the same way, mm-hmm. right? But if I'm going out, if I'm going outdoors and shooting hunting versus doing a food shoot in the studio, yeah, it's right. a completely different mindset. Like I'm because I'm pre-thinking in my mind. I've got a list. I've had meetings. I've talked to the client about what, you know, what dishes we're shooting that day. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this, it's a salad. I'm going to light it from the back and then shoot an aerial. And we're mm-hmm. getting really cool textures of the fruits and everything. Versus, mm-hmm. oh, this is a sandwich. I've got I've to have, you know, lights coming from the back. But if I don't put a key light coming from the side, it's just going to be a big shadow on the front. Right. So I'm thinking about different lighting angles, which I would say in some ways I'm doing that outdoors too. But I'm remembering mm-hmm. that in my mind, I, I've only got so much control of the sun. Right. Right. Or you have to go through very, very extra steps to overpower the sun or, or manipulate right, it. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And, that, and that, that little bit of anxiety always comes in. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, am I going to get that shot right. before the sun goes down? Or the other thing is, wow, there's a lot of cool shots we want to get. How do we decide which one gets <laughs> which sweet one? light, yeah. right? Because you can't get <laughs> right. sweet light on all of them. Right. So there's that process of, wow, I think we need, and sometimes, sometimes you realize you're wrong. Like, mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a quick adjustments that have to be made, and you're, you're playing with that little bit of unknown that's it's kind of fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Whereas in the studio, it's a different mindset. I kind of, I kind of know I can control the light all day long, mm-hmm. right? So I wish there was some way I could get that perfect light where the sun is. I don't like super, super low light. Mm -hmm. I really like that hour and a half before the sun goes down where it's still bright. Still bright. There's rays of light that you're working. I wish I could hold that there for like the entire day of my shoot, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like golden hour in Alaska is the golden hour lasts. I don't know. Oh, two, yeah. three hours, and because the sun is is it's such a lower position, it's there you know, all day and, almost. It's, and it's there right. It's in in that location almost all day. And I mean, the lighting. The first time I went to Alaska, and it you know it was golden hour. I just was like, oh my gosh, this 
the sliding is just makes everything just look absolutely gorgeous. Oh man, what an amazing luxury. Hey, if you ever want me to go up there with you, I'm, I'm your man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll let you know, you know, I'll let you know, but it's a, uh, and you know, talking about light in my past life as an architect, we always spoke of light as a, a material, yeah. right? It's, and it's funny that you, you mentioned architecture is kind of like your therapeutic photography subject and the biggest thing that we learned in you know architecture school and even from a design standpoint was you know light is not a byproduct of your architecture it needs to be seen as a material that you can craft and shape and and manipulate just like wood or or glass or any kind of material you put in a house and i think people tend to forget that photography Light is is what you're working with. Yeah. Light is that material, right? And like in the studio, you're learning or you you know how to to craft that lighting, right? You and you know how to craft it to a certain look or a, a certain way that you feel highlights a subject. And when right. you go outside, you know, of course you have the natural light, but also learning how to deal with that is is part of being a photographer. And I think when someone comes into the, you know, the the role or the industry as a photographer, learning how to do that is, is pretty critical yeah. for even, heck, even setting client expectations or, you know, really knowing what the outcome of your product is going to be. Because let's say you're producing a shot and you really don't know how to light a certain product and you just say, hey, yeah, I know how to light that product or, you know, I, I know how to yeah. take a picture of it in the studio. But then when you set the product in front of you and you don't light it correctly, it might not highlight the product that the, you know, in a way that the client wants. And that's that's such a huge thing to, to really get a good foundation on is, is light. Yeah. I mean, in fact, one of the questions I was thinking of was, you know, what can we do to help our clients feel that the same way we do? Mm -hmm. Because I've, I've actually been accused of not in a bad way, (laughs) but I've had clients be like, wow, you are intense with getting the light right. You know? Right. And, right. I, and I am for me, like, if you're going to talk about all the things that are important in a photograph, the light, the composition, the mm-hmm. talent, you know, all that stuff, the wardrobe, whatever, light is at the top of the pyramid for me. Oh, absolutely. It's at the very top because that the light is to me what sets the mood stronger than anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Like a model's facial expression can set the mood or Right, you know the way you compose an image can do can can do the same thing, but light is the most powerful way we can. Is is it you know is it comical? Is it romantic? Is it funny? Is it serious? You know, mm-hmm. I'd light things totally differently. You know, mm-hmm. if I was lighting an athlete, I'm probably going to rim light them. You know, and mm-hmm. fill in the yep. front with a little bit of shadows. Yep. and try yep. to get a lot of contrast and out right. of it. Whereas if I'm lighting an editorial shot of a professional, I'm probably going to do like a straight above them paramount light, you know, try to make them look powerful and strong. Right. But yeah, light, 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 man. It's, it's such a vector to the, the message that you're trying to communicate about your subject. Right. I think that makes a huge difference in how someone perceives an image. Like you just said, you know, you have in your mind how to light this subject so that it conveys what you want or the client wants to convey, such as I need to light this portrait in a way that makes this person seem funny or powerful or, you know, dramatic. There's a huge difference between, you know, even 
catch lights, right? People, people kind of dismiss catch lights, but I think for me, you know, portrait, when I look at a portrait with a very thought out catch light, it adds so much. Oh, it adds so much. And you just stare at that portrait. But then if there wasn't a catch light, your eye starts to wander a little more. You start to look at, you know, other things in the image, but Mm -hmm. when there's a powerful catch light, it just, I mean, your attention is just right on that person. And you're just like staring into their soul and it makes a huge difference, you know, huge difference. Absolutely. Yep. And I love the way when you get that catch, like you're talking about when it brings color into the Mm -hmm. person's eyes, you know? Right. And I found myself having to do catch. I'll even use highly reflective cards as my catch lights Mm -hmm. just to bounce just enough into the eyes. Right. It's amazing how much it changes, how much it just adds a whole nother dimension. It doesn't seem absolutely ill, but that little reflection in the eye just adds so much dimension. Mm And I think that, you know, little things like that, little details is what makes, what separates a good or great image between a, a phenomenal one that just burns itself into people's minds. Yeah. Right? yeah. Especially with portraits. You don't, you seldom forget a, a very, very strong portrait. You know, it's like, like if it's a truly successful image, you'll always remember it. Yeah you always remember it or, or some part of it. Right. And I think uh, lighting plays a huge part in that. Yeah. And I always like to follow up with my clients too. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you do this. I'm sure you guys do, but post shoot, usually shortly after, but then also in the long term after how, how did that turn out? Like, right. what, how did, did you see a difference in your cells? I mean, your product, did we, mm-hmm. did we light it right? Is there something we should do different to you to take it even a step further, raise the bar a little higher? Mm-hmm. And I love those conversations because it always brings back, it keeps us from going into those, those lulls, right? Mm-hmm. Those, those creative ruts. Right. But the funny thing about those conversations, so often it, it turns, it goes back to the light, you know, in the photograph. Well, that was great. I think we should do this next time or... Mm-hmm. or whatever. I just, yeah, I really love those conversations. Yeah. And that leads me to my next question is, you know, what, what are those conversations like? What, what is it like for you to work with a client? What's that client and photographer relationship like for you? Yeah. Well, I, there's two of them. I usually, there's, two, there's usually, it goes two different ways usually for me. Mm-hmm. One of them is, and it's the more rare one, I think a client calls me and they know exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. Right. And I love that because we just ground <laughs> going so much. Faster, Very right? efficient. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say that gives me a little bit of anxiety because when the client knows exactly what they want, mm-hmm. there's always a little bit more. I need to be more meticulous on giving them exactly what they want. Correct. But yes. I always like, I always in my mind, I'm always like trying to, okay, but what can I do to sweeten it up for them? I want to give them that wow factor. Is there's, there's a little light here, a little light there, whatever. Anyway, so that's one. The other one is a client calls and they're just speaking riddles, man. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell they don't know for sure what they want. Right. And I always have to try to look at the positive in that. Okay, mm-hmm. how can I turn this into an opportunity to, it's kind of like the iPhone, right? How many right. people didn't even know they wanted an iPhone until they had one in their hand? <laughs> right? Yep. So I try to do, that's, that's the approach I try to take with those clients. How can I give them something they didn't even realize they wanted until they saw it? Right. 
So those are the two different ones. Case in point on a situation where the client didn't know what they wanted. I showed up. We were supposed to photograph these highly successful business people that mm-hmm. had flown in, right? They had flown in from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And the client, I could not, I'm trying to talk to them to get what they want. And I could not get a clear, a clear answer from them. And so, mm-hmm. of course, I bring the whole caboodle, man. I've got all my gear because <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do, right? I mean, it's the morning of the shoot. Right, right. And I ended up doing really, really fun. Well, the client told me in the beginning, don't worry about lighting it. Just, just shoot it gritty and, and right. just get it natural. And I went completely opposite direction with it. And I was scared out of my mind. Because <laughs> I didn't know it was, I was, and the client wasn't available. They were busy with other elements. I was shooting on my own. Right. These editorial portraits. Well, see, I'm using the term editorial portraits, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that's what I was doing until I was literally bringing the lights in the room. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. like it's like, oh, well, yeah. I'm <laughs> like, we're doing this. I, I don't care what the client said. I can tell they don't know what they want anyway. And it was a three day, it was a four day shoot. Right. And so, I did this really cool paramount lighting inside the building. They had this beautiful blue wall with their branding all over it. Mm-hmm. And so I photographed these people with the branding just slightly out of focus in the background. And the blue wall was just glowing behind them. Paramount lighting. We did some really cool stuff where they were profiled of the camera with some fun Rembrandt lighting on them. Mm-hmm. And then some more hardcore rim lighting. We did a lot of, we tried to capture them laughing versus like, you know, a very game face look. Right. Right. And I'm day one into this. I'm like, holy crap, like you, right? The clients are going to see the images right now. <laughs> so I showed them at the end of the day and they just go, holy cow, I want you to shoot all these people this way. Right. And so they didn't know what they wanted until they saw it. Mm-hmm. They had no idea. Yep. And I was like, I was a little bit afraid to go against the grain, but it was it paid off. And then the next three days of that shoot was just, it was fun. We yeah. Similar stuff in different areas. And we got some beautiful, beautiful shots. And, mm-hmm. and I love it when situations like that pan out, right? Yeah. You, you really don't have an expectation or you just don't know what to expect. Your client doesn't know what to expect. They just, they just kind of leave it to you. Right. Which can be dangerous as well. Yeah. Because it can go, like you said, it can go one way or the other. It can be really bad where they look at it and they say, this is absolutely the opposite of what we wanted. Yeah. But then you can't go to them and say, well, you didn't know what you wanted. So I know. Yeah. Because I'll just piss them off even more. Right? Just, it, uh, yeah, <laughs> if you, that's the problem with both situations where the client doesn't know what they want because if you don't perform, you're screwed. It's your fault no matter what. Correct. Right? <laughs> it is. Because they, right. they, they feel like it's your job to provide them. To convey that. Want, yes. Even though they don't know what they want. It's like recreating mm-hmm. the iPhone every time. Right. You Absolutely. Know? And, you know, we, when I say we, we you know, I, I mean, collectively, Muddy Shutter, we put a lot of time into setting the client expectations, right? Even if we know that we have to spend you know, 10 hours or, or we have to put in a little bit of work to convey that and convince them that this is what they want or don't want. That to us is an investment in protecting ourselves, right? Because then when you go into a shoot, we know that we have set that line or some 
semblance of of a line or, or expectation to avoid that. But there are situations where you know you can try to say, "Hey, this is what I'm thinking," or "Or this is what I I want to shoot," and they're like, "Oh yeah, 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 whatever." You know, we trust you. You know, but yeah, and oh, go ahead, finish. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say that's the nice thing about having relationships with clients that you've come through for them before. Mm-hmm. And so they know that they are, I guess it's a good and a bad thing because sometimes we train our clients to be loosey goosey. Right. Because we, you know, they come to the, they come to us without a clear vision. Mm-hmm. We provide for them and then they realize in their mind, oh, I can just do this. I can just, right. I can just give them a rough. And that's good. As long as the client knows, look, we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants here, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but I kind of find fun in that, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, when it comes through, which like I said before, it always does. It right. always does. It's just, right. it's so gratifying. But I did, in an ideal world though, I would love to have that perfect mix of mm-hmm. we have a scale, we have a, we have a framework of what we want to get. Right. But we're going to, we're going to let things evolve. Right. As this happens, as long as it stays within me- the message, you know, mm-hmm. even sometimes the message is redirected slightly because of something we discovered on set or mm-hmm. something we discovered during the shoot, you know, or, or new ideas pop in for even copy that will go on an image or whatever because of right. serendipitous things that happened. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's a huge, that's a huge thing is, is you almost have to, you know, plan for the worst, but hope for the best and, and be, be ready to take control of the situation and be, you know, serendipitous, like you said, and being able to really take advantage of the opportunities that come on location. And, you know, I'm going to share something with you here. And and I I know that the listeners can't see this and, and, but I'm going to try to describe it, but this is for a, a, you know, a, a client and, you know, they came to us and said, hey, we just want a commercial. I said, okay, well, that's pretty vague. <laughs> it's like a commercial about what? Yeah. Right? And so, you know, we, this is a five page or four page, just a, you know, like a creative brief. Right. And, and saying, hey, based on the assumptions, you know, this is, this is what we think you want, right? This is the brand message. This is the, lo- these are the locations. This is the style. Here's kind of like a sample script. Here's some imagery, you know, and, and we have a, you know, like a treatment, just a, a, a treatment. And, you know, we have these story, little storyboards, storyboard, right? yeah. little storyboards. And it, it takes a little bit of effort, but, you know, we're trying to plan as best as we can for the client. And we do know going in that things are going to change. Yeah. But I believe that having that something to be able to fall back on or maybe things aren't going right or things didn't quite pan out the way that you would want to, you can always go back and refer to it and say, okay, well, why are we shooting this? And what can we, you know, what can we do to, I don't know, make it better or make the situation work? Like you you said, you know, you you didn't know and you just said, hey, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and shoot these like, you know, like this and then we'll make the best of the situation and I'm going to do it, whatever. Right. Yeah. And it, it panned out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you how, sure. how often does it happen where the client knows exactly what they want versus that client that's, you know, scratching their head as they're talking to you? Is it, how often is it for you guys one way or the other? You know, that's a really good question. I think that we try to control it as much as we can. 
usually a lot of clients, it's, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it's 50, 50. I think that it's, it's almost like 80, 20, 20% really know what they want. And then the other 80% might know what they want, but then they come to us and we, we start planning and they're like, man, we really didn't know what we, we wanted. Yeah. And then we kind of switch them over and say, well, let us guide you. You know, yeah. let's just talk about it. And sometimes a lot of the, a lot of our, our clients or even potential clients are like, oh, this is kind of overkill. You know, why do we have to talk about a shot list? Why do we have to, yeah. you know, why do we have to do storyboards? And it's like, well, we're just trying to flush out, you know, flush these things out and really get down to why we're doing this. And for you to come to us and say, hey, is this, is this on brand or is this something that we truly want to go down the road doing? Right. Because for them, the way that we explain it is not knowing what you want is expensive. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's very expensive. Unless they're flexible. If they're flexible, it's okay. But yeah, if if they get through it, like what you're saying and they decide they got to have this, then it's very expensive. Right. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's changed and, but I, I, I do think that we have built a reputation for, for driving that conversation. I think it's more so where, you know, the clients that we are getting now just leave it up to us to show them what they need or yeah. what, what we think they need. Or, or you know, right. they, they'll say, Hey, you know, we uh, just, just for, as an example with one, one of our clients recently, they said, Hey, can you look at our, our current brand collateral and just let us know what you think? What do you think needs to be updated? Yeah. You know, almost like pitching like a mini campaign, but. Not so much on the whole marketing strategy, but on just the content strategy. So they, and, and they were acting; they were using you as kind of a consultant to get started. Correct, yeah. and, and you know, I think that's it's become it's become the norm for us, right. and we're we're morphing into a hybrid of of a media agency as well as in house production, right? Because, like you said, a, a lot of times the client comes to you and they're like, "We know we need to get something done, we don't know how to achieve it, and it's just easier if you." drive the conversation and let us know what the budget needs to be. And we'll give you a yes or a no. Because for them, it cuts down a lot on the back and forth. And a lot of times it gives them something tangible to bring back to their boss, right? Instead of, oh, well, you know, I just got an email saying that it's going to cost X. We provide the, hey, this is what we're going to shoot. This is how many locations you could afford for your budget. You know, this is, you know, the people that would be involved based on that. Give us a yay or nay, or we can go back in and, and alter that. Yeah. So it's, so it's you, definitely changing. It's so definitely you, changing. So you, you guys have been going for a relatively short amount of time, but yet you're already experiencing this, this morphing of being more than just a production crew. You're becoming mm-hmm. essentially an ad agency. Correct. And we don't want to say we're a full-blown ad agency because to be a full-service ad agency is, I mean, that's completely over our head. And, and you know, with complete transparency, that's what we tell our clients. We're like, hey, right. we're not a full-blown PR or, or ad agency. We, yeah. we can do some select things, but we are not a substitute to working agency. with an ad agency. Yeah. And I bet they appreciate it, that honesty. Oh, absolutely. What it would um, have for to make that claim and then, have, you know, like... Right. You know, it's, it gets you in trouble. You yeah. know, I think it gets you in trouble when you say, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. I can do this. And then you deliver something that's just subpar. Right. right. And then right. It also devalues the people that are truly experts. Right? right. I mean, 
it's almost the equivalent of someone just buying a camera for the first time and say, yeah, you know, I'm a XYZ photographer. I'm a, I'm a professional. And the one of their clients goes to them and they shoot something that is is not up to the their quality standards. And then suddenly now that client is a little bit more hesitant. Right. right? Because they're like, ah, I paid X amount for this and that's what I got. Yeah. And then, and then they go to you and you give them a number and they say, what? Like, and so it, it does a disservice when you claim to be an expert and, and you don't. And, and yeah. well, I mean, I will, and I'm on record for this, but I will tell you if we don't have the capability of doing something, you know, we are not experts in a lot of things. We're, we're pretty much a jack of all trades, but we know where our expertise ends. And I, I think that. And at that point you outsource. Correct. But the yeah. nice thing is though, I think the good approach with that is though, I don't necessarily like to tell people oh, I can't do this or I can't do that. Right. If I've got a team member or, or mm-hmm. someone I have a relationship that can pull it off, that can do right. it, right. then I, I usually like to say, well, look, it's not something I do myself, but you know, there's this guy over here I work with. I know a great cinematographer or, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever else it is. Yep. And try to... So there's a little bit of a balance to that. But for sure, right. when it comes to saying you're a full-on ad agency, that's probably not the direction you want to take. Right. And it's it's a good thing that you mentioned, you know, that kind of dialogue you have with your clients where, hey, you know, I, I don't do this to the quality that you would want, but I do know someone that can. Yeah. I think one, people see it as like, oh, you're losing work. Like, why would you do that? You're you're giving away work to a competition, right? I mean, even even this relationship right here, Mike, you and I have is like you're a photographer and, and I guess I'm a photographer as well. But yeah if a client came to me and they said, Hey, can you do some product photography for me? Sure. I can do some, you know, I know my way around a studio. I know how to light, but if they said, I want this image to look like this, you know, I can tell them straight to their face and say, Hey, look, I can't achieve that. I don't have the setup, but Mike over here can, and here's his, here's his rate. And if they say, let's use Mike, that's perfect because, you know, I, I think, I think that's how the the network should function I do um, instead of like, Oh uh, no, no, I can do it. I can do it. You know? And then you deliver something that just, that just sucks. Right. And then the client is just not happy with you. And the thing is going off with what you're saying, when you refer somebody like that to a client mm-hmm. and they're happy, that's all that's going to do is that's, it helps you even right. though you didn't necessarily get the job. Right. They like you they respect you for, for, for doing that. And who knows what that leads to, what right. relationships right. it builds. And, you know, I, yeah. I think us as photographers, we need to stick together more. Mm-hmm. I, I do too. Point. Absolutely. You know? I do too. And I think, you know, I, I think we, this is a big collective we in cinematography, photography and all. I think if we started to collaborate with each other more and, and I don't want to say pass around work, but if we start to, really have a conversation about, hey, you know, who truly is the best person for this job? And start start looking and giving priority to our clients and saying, we have the the client's best interests in mind instead of, oh, I'm going to get mine and you're going to get yours. Right. Yeah. I think it 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 truly helps the industry for the better. Because then one, it edu- educates the client on quality, right? And two, it helps us with our value. I mean exactly. it doesn't help if everybody just beats each other, tries to beat each other to the bottom line and saying, Oh, I can do it cheaper than this guy. I can do it cheaper than this guy. Just give me the work. I hate that. And then suddenly everybody's wondering, 
well, you know, why am I getting paid so little for this gig? It's like, well, because everybody's trying to beat each other to the lowest dollar, yeah. right? To try to get jobs. Now, of course, business is business. And if if it's a highly competitive brand and, you know, you, you need to be competitive, sure. I mean, I understand that you have to play with your numbers and things like that. But sure. I think it's within reason when you play yeah. with the numbers, right? Yeah, the way I see it is if I can go to bed at night feeling like I got paid fairly, Mm-hmm. And I did my industry as a whole a service mm-hmm. instead of a disservice. That's kind of my gauge for pricing with clients and what I'm right. willing to do my work for, you know, because yeah, it is competitive. It's an extraordinarily competitive industry. And so there is that, I don't know if it's intuition is the right word to, mm-hmm. to go as low as you can, but still be happy with getting the job. Right. Or I think there's, there's got to be a little bit more of a mentality of prosperity there. Mm-hmm. Where, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, you know we, we ran into that problem a couple of times where people said, man, you guys are expensive. You know, yep. you guys are expensive. And, you know, our, our kind of response to that was, well, you know, we have to take care of our guys and we pay them what they're worth and, and this is our value. And of course, sure, we'll, we'll work with you. We'll be flexible as much as we can, but at the end of the day, we need to be paid fairly. But know that if you do go with us, you will get return on every single penny that leaves your pockets to us. We will work extremely hard. We will always over deliver, you know. And yeah. once once the client sees that, once you're in field and that you they see you hustling, they see you, you know, truly delivering on that promise. Mm-hmm. That next conversation isn't about how expensive you are. It's, hey, what's next, right? Yeah. What's, what's next? Because yeah. you, you truly do bring value. But that's kind of my long-winded <laughs> rant there about, about yeah. pricing yourself. And that is a huge thing that no one talks about in our industry, right? Is how much should you charge? <laughs> yeah, pricing is it's because it's such a, it's a little bit cryptic, you know? It's not like you're going right. to a car lot and buying a car and the guy down the lot has the exact same car for, you know, this price or that price. Right. It's really hard to gauge it, you know, and there's, there's different photographers that have different levels of experience. They're going to charge different prices. And so mm-hmm. lots of times I'll, I'll tell a client, look, if this is out of your budget, I know so-and-so that will do that will do it for this much. Right. You know, but, <laughs> but yeah. they yeah. have to realize that that bar of quality has to shift a little bit. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. You know? And I've had a couple of times where they did it. They left and they went to another photographer. Mm-hmm. And I've had about the same amount of times where they came back with they their back. <laughs> and they're yep. saying, and 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 I'll tell them this, like what you said too, you know, sometimes not knowing what you not knowing what you want is expensive. It applies in this realm too, right? A little bit twisted, but if you if you're gonna try to go cheap, you're gonna end up doing the project twice. You're gonna oh, yeah. end up paying yep. for the project twice. Yep. You're gonna end up being that much further behind with your schedule, mm-hmm. you know. I'm the same way with, you know, I need to be better at, at recognizing that too with, with people that I hire for mm-hmm. me, you know, like with assistants or post-production right. or whatever, you would pay for it applies. Yeah. It applies across yeah. the board for sure. Buy once, cry once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it is very important. And I, I believe that you, you probably run into that quite often with, with the work that you do. And here's kind of my next question is, where do you see the industry going? 
you know, you've been obviously been in the industry for a while and yeah. you, you are in a different, a wide variety of, of different photographic niches. So as an industry as, as a whole, where do you think it's going or, or where do you want okay. it to go? Whatever. Sure. Yeah, I, I wish I was more of an expert at that. I'll give you my, <laughs> my gospel according to Mike, but I don't know that it'll be accurate. <laughs> but I, I see they're gonna, there's going to be more and more work mm-hmm. because with the way technology is going, all these new companies sprouting up, they can sell their products on Amazon or whatever. I right. think there's going to be a lot more like mid-level work mm-hmm. for you know clients that are 500 million, $200 million range clients, right? right. Mid, mid-sized companies, which right. is a good thing, right? Right. Yeah, great. But I feel like with that, there being more work like that, it seems like the clients in that caliber aren't as familiar with usage mm-hmm. and they're not as familiar with paying usage. Right. And it, often when you educate them on that, they tuck tail and run. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be a little bit less I hate to say this, but I, and we're already seeing it to some degree, mm-hmm. less usage that clients are going to be paying for the photographs. Right. I don't know how that translates into cinematography or videos, but I've already seen that starting to happen. So I'm starting to roll. I'm, I'm starting to be creative about how I educate my clients on why the usage is important and how it helps them have exclusivity on the images and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of see it going that way a little bit. Right. And you know, it's, that's, that's actually a very, very interesting topic. And to be honest, it's, it's a very, I would say there's two schools of thought, right? Is one, like you said, there are some people that are like, Oh, usage is just whatever. You know, there's some guys that are like, we have to stand by the, the usage and, and really, you know, really get our value for our images. But it's, I think, I think it's starting to blur. And the biggest catalyst to that is Instagram, right? Yeah. I mean, big time. Big time. Pictures are it's, being thrown around all over the place without correct. photographers. Correct. Yeah. Yep. And it's a difficult thing to battle. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, in addition to what you're saying, it's almost like in a lot of ways, the, the photograph is being commoditized. Correct. Yes. You know? And... Because there's a lot of, it's just like supply and demand, right? It's uh, because there are so many people out there that are willing to give their photographs away for free mm-hmm. and it saturates the market. And then usage is really something that clients or brands don't want to pay for. Yeah. Right. Cause they're like, why, why should I pay you to use one image when I can get 10 from Joe Bob down the street for free. Yeah. And he's going to let me use it for the eternity right. of, of my feed, right? But I think usage is is more, I would say the larger corporations, larger tier yeah. of companies get usage, but the, the smaller to midsize, it's less so, I believe. And the way that we combat that is we, we price it accordingly. Yeah. We say, hey, you want to know why our rates are so high? Well, because look, one or let's say we we shoot a hundred images for them. I mean, we educate them and say, look, how much did it take for you to bring us out here? And then think about that return on, on investment that you would get from someone seeing that. Right. And then we try to help them justify, well, if this one image that you paid X amount for sells you a hundred year product and makes 10 times, 20 times the return, then, you know, there that's really the is value. no argument. Yeah. There, that's the value. And yeah. 
usually they're like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good point, right? Yeah. I mean, even the, the JetBoat client that we were working with, we proposed to them a budget, and they came back and said, whoa, <laughs> that's, cra- that's a crazy budget. We've and, all had that. <laughs> yep, and, and we kind of said, well, take the cost of your product, you know? I mean, let's say this phase here that we're, we're suggesting, if one guy buys a boat from seeing these assets, you know, that covers that entire phase. And I assure you that you're going to sell more boats than just one boat, you know? So we, we try to make it relative to the product that they're selling. Of course, this is talking about product photography and lifestyle and things like that. And the usage is different for different niches, but that's kind of how we combat the so usage and things how, like that. I, I got to ask you, how, how did they react and how did it go? Or You know, the first thing is, well, how do I know someone's going to buy it? Right. Or, okay, if that argument is that if you guys shoot a short film or a commercial for us, and how do I know, you know, someone's going to see it and, and purchase a product? And then that's when you, we usually go into analytics, you know, the, the, the reporting, giving them metrics about things. And we say, hey, you know, this is what we're projecting that if we, if we deliver this asset to you, this is probably how many eyeballs are, are going to see it. And of that, here's, an industry standard percentage of conversion to sales. And once they see that and they're like, okay, you know, that math kind of makes sense, right? And you give them case studies. So for example, you know, we shot a commercial, there was X amount of views on it. And from that amount of views, we said, okay, well, how many sales did you get after you launched that video, right? And they know, right? They know the the orders that are on it. And they say, okay, well, we had from this time to this time, we had this many orders. And we said, well, it's most likely one and a half to 3% of that. And they look and they're like, oh, wow, you're right. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. And we say, okay, of that many eyeballs that see it, one and a half percent to 3% will actually go and buy your product. Now, that's a very, that's conservative, very pessimistic view, right? (laughs) Right. That's if uh, out of a hundred people that see your product, one and a half people to three per three people will actually go and buy your product. But we tell them, okay, in worst case scenario, if uh, out of a hundred people that see it, only one person buys it, that's kind of the metric we're working with. And then we try to balance their budget spend with, with that number. Yeah. And if let's say, you know, if it doesn't pan out for them numbers wise, then that's, that's the best we can do. Right. Yeah. And at that point, it's, well, you know, this project's just not going to work with, with us or, you know, you guys have to kind of reevaluate your expectations of what you're trying to get out of this piece or out of this photograph. Or, or find a way to simplify it so they're not spending as much money. And that's, that's kind of the approach I take often with clients. If, they, if, they, you know, if they're in over their head money-wise, the first thing I'll try to say to them is, because I don't want to take a pay, I don't want to make less but work more. Right. I, I want to provide them with something that's going to be within their budget, but still be a killer a campaign for them. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I would I, I like to say is, look, man, if this is out of your budget, let's see what we can do to simplify. You know, do we have to have this? Can we pull that out? Can we shoot at a closer location? Yep. You know, can we reduce our number of models, or mm-hmm. can we work with natural light instead of bringing all right. these probes up here? You know, right? Like. And I like that, I, and I think clients really like it when you provide with them solutions to right. the situation they're in, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think that that is, is huge for a client. That is such an, a value add that you function almost as a consultant, 
yeah. as a instead of just oh this guy's just the, the guy that takes the pretty pictures for us it's this guy is someone that we consult with he makes our job easier he knows you know down to the dollars and cents what he needs to create and what he can provide for that and i think that is a huge part of running a successful photography or visual business is providing solutions and yeah. not just providing a product yes or or an image it's you're providing a service you're you're providing customer service and so much more than just your your photograph or your video but the way to do it in a killer way that fits their budget correct and yeah. sometimes you know to wrap around this topic sometimes it does mean referring them to someone else yep and that's yep. that's fine yep it's totally fine yep and it's it's important and i think most people will never do that, but I think when you start to refer people and you start to build that network, clients will see that. They'll see it and they'll remember it and they know that you are, you become a resource to them. Yeah. And that's when you truly, you truly build, you know, build that relationship with them is when they know, hey, this guy, he has our best interests in mind. You know, he, he will work with us. He has our best interests in mind and, and we know he's not just out to, to get as many jobs as he can. Right. It makes a big difference in client relations. It does. It makes them trust you, which is huge. Oh, huge. Especially huge. when it's a first time client. They've never they've never had a finished product show up on their desk, you know? Mm-hmm. So yep. absolutely. So, you know, I, I we always try to end with this question is if you could go back in time to talk to a younger Mike. Mm-hmm. It could be a year ago, it could be twenty years ago, it could be fifteen years ago, just a younger Mike. What would you tell him? Hmm. Uh, I would, I'd probably tell him to have a little bit more faith in the process and just let things happen. Mm-hmm. It's a slow process getting to where you want to be in terms of, okay, you've hit that point that you can say you're successful. I think I always had that mindset, but I never had confidence in it. Like I was always, a, I don't know, I just did, I didn't know if it was going to work or not. Mm-hmm. I just take it one day at a time. And that's probably another thing I would say. I find myself telling my, I'm telling myself that now. I think I told myself that today, <laughs> dude, dude, one day at a time, man. Yeah. One day at a time, you know, cause sometimes we get anxious and we want to, you know, going back to earlier conversation, we want everything at once. We want to have all the success at once, but instant gratification isn't always the best gratification. I probably tell myself that too. Wow, I think we should. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like tattoo that on my arm. I think. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, right? I mean, yeah. I'm glad it's taken me a long time to get to where I am now. Mm-hmm. And I guess I could look back and be like, man, if I would have leveraged my money and if I would have done this and marketed myself hardcore, I could be right. here now instead of here, right? Or or whatever. Yeah, but I could also be broke and working at Costco. You know, right? So, yeah, I just, I probably tell my younger Mike just to have confidence in the process and be patient. Mm -hmm. If you put your mind to it, it will happen. Yeah. It will happen. And lots of things have happened even beyond what I, what, what I had envisioned. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. And we, we asked that question at the end of each podcast, because it's interesting. I think we're slowly starting to see a trend, right? Where everybody wants to tell their younger self, slow down, man. Just 
take it a, a day at a time. Just, just, you know, focus on the now and, and stop worrying so much and it'll all work out and, and just work hard and, and be patient. It, it seems like of the people that we've been interviewing so far and, and having on the podcast, that's been a very steady, very consistent answer. And it, it doesn't surprise me because the people that are, are successful in this industry, they, they know that. They know that it's not an instant thing. Yeah. It takes so much time, so much effort, so much refining and back and forth with your craft. Right. Um, but there is, yeah, there is that anxiousness, right? There is that, oh man, I, I hope this project comes through or I, you know, I, I hope that I bid on that project correctly and, and you, you, you're anxious, you're stressed. But sometimes you just have to go back and say, man, this is a pretty awesome job. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a pretty great job. I, and it's, it's something that, is another consistent theme amongst everyone is they have that stress, they have that anxiousness, but at the end of the day, they realize they're doing exactly what they want to do. Yeah. I can't imagine myself doing anything else. And I remember my first year in college, I didn't know if I was going to be a photographer or not. I was just taking a photo class to see the, I won't keep you too long, but this is probably my, my closing thing would be, he told this professor said, if you can visualize yourself being anything else, you should probably go do that. <laughs> yeah, that everybody hard. put down your cameras. And, <laughs> and I sat in that classroom going, oh man, I barely made it through high school, dude. I don't know what else I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, time out, time out. Can I get four years to think about this? <laughs> yeah, so that's, that was kind of my segue into this. It was like, well, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Let's just right. do it. Let's just right. do it. No plan B, just a plan A. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for the great conversation. It was such a uh, an eye opener and, and such a great, uh, you know, variety of topics that yeah. we covered. Yeah. Thanks. And for topics that. that a lot of people don't don't get to hear about, right? Yeah. The business side and and growing client relations and, and client bases. So I, again, I thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day. Yeah. To, to speak with us. And like you know, thanks for choosing me and thanks for guiding such an awesome conversation. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Cool. We'll talk soon. Thanks again for joining on today's episode of the Burning Creative Podcast. Don't forget to show us some love by sharing, subscribing, and following along on our website, theburningcreative.com. Until next time, keep the fire burning.